Welcome to the Amherst Wesleyan Church Sermon Podcast. This morning, we are beginning a new series called Knowing Jesus. Clara, you're not allowed to eat all those, okay? Stay out of them. We... (laughs) We're beginning a new series called Knowing Jesus, and we're going to spend the next two weeks learning about who Jesus is and how we should properly understand him so that we have the right expectations and we're living accordingly to how he expects us to live. Now, how many of you have ever maybe gone to a really nice restaurant, something that's high-end, fancy, specializes in steaks, and and you go there, maybe it's a wedding anniversary or a birthday party, whatever it is, and you're going there, and you're expecting like an amazing meal and an amazing time with whoever it is you've gone with, and you get there, and you're all dressed up, and, and you're just so looking forward to that beautiful steak, and it comes to you, and it's undercooked, and it tastes like rubber, and the server is a jerk to you, and the whole night just falls apart, you would feel disappointed, right? Yes. Or, suppose you're someone who starts a new job, and you're wanting it to really launch you in your career. And you put a lot of hope and faith in this new job that is going to help you get forward in life. You're going to make an amazing income. It's going to give you great benefits, and, and you're going to feel like you've really made it. Only to get in that job, and after a couple of weeks, you realize your boss is actually kind of a doofus. Your coworkers, they aren't helping you. You're getting underpaid, and you're all of a sudden stuck in this dead-end job. You'd feel disappointed, wouldn't you? Or suppose you start a new diet, you're wanting to eat right, you're wanting to exercise because you want to live till you're 90, right? Like, we all want to do that, don't we? And so we're eating well and we're exercising, we're putting a lot of effort into our, our health only to be diagnosed with a terminal illness later on. You would be disappointed, wouldn't you? Or suppose you want to do the right thing and raise your kids to follow Jesus. And so you bring them to church, you send them downstairs for Connect, you make sure they're in youth group, and you're doing devotions at home, and you're doing all the right things that you know to be true, only for them to rebel and not follow Jesus later on in life. You would feel disappointed, right? You see, in life, we have hopes and expectations for things to go a certain way, and when they fall through and they fall apart and they don't work out the way we expect, we feel disappointed. Our disappointments come when our expectations don't match the reality of what is happening in our lives. And the same can be true in our relationship with God. How many of you have ever felt disappointed with God? Come on, let's be honest, people. We've all felt disappointed with God at least once in our life. And we're going to be looking at a story today where one of our disciples has 
an incredible disappointment with Jesus. We uh, just finished a series called Be Like Peter. Thank you, Pastor Cheryl, for that series. And I was half tempted to call this series Don't Be Like Peter, just to kind of, you know, rub it back. But because we're going to see right here, right now, like Peter just, he's a bit of a bonehead in this story. So Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27, going to chapter 9, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me, please. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said all this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So here we have this story where Jesus has been hanging out with his disciples, and this story is right in the center of the entire Gospel of Mark. And so by this point, Jesus has spent a significant amount with his disciples. They've been following him for some time. They've seen some miracles. They've heard his teaching. They've gotten the behind-the-scenes scoop on who Jesus is and what he's doing, what he's all about. So they've been around, and so They've seen Jesus perform all these miracles. He's fed 5,000. He's healed the sick. He's uh, given sight to the blind. He's done all these amazing things. And the disciples must be thinking, like, yeah, this is more than just some ordinary rabbi. Like, there's something different about this guy. And so Jesus takes his disciples aside, and he just says, so what's the word on the street, guys? Like, who, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say just this prophet. Okay, okay. Well, you guys have been hanging out with me for a while now. You, who, who do you think that I am? And I love Peter's answer. You know, it just goes to show that he, he probably grew up going to Sunday school because he, he's got the Sunday school answer, right? He says, you are the Christ. Pretty solid answer, right? It's like, I remember learning that if you don't know the answer to the question when you're down in Sunday school, 
It's either God, Jesus, or the Bible, right? And so Peter gets it right. He's, he's, he's right on the mark. He says, you are the Christ. And we don't see Jesus necessarily do this, but I'm going to just assume it happens where he's like, yep, yeah, thumbs up, you got it. That's, you're, you're right on. You got it. But then Jesus kind of does this pivot where he begins to explain to the disciples, guess what? I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. But in three days, I'm going to rise again. Now, for those of us who have grown up in church, we know the story of Jesus. We know how that all ends. We know that Jesus does ultimately die and is resurrected. And through that, there is victory over sin and death. And we experience that through him. Amen? Oh, come on. Amen? There we go. Peter doesn't have the same advantage as we do by not already knowing the end result or the outcome that's down the road. And Peter doesn't like what Jesus has to say. He, he doesn't like this at all. So he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Can you imagine taking Jesus aside and rebuking him? Right? Have you ever, in your prayer life or in your walk with Jesus, kind of just try to tell him that you know better and he's wrong and he should listen to you? Been guilty of that. And this is what Peter's doing. He's, he's taking Jesus aside and saying, I know better than you. You're wrong about this. You're off track here, Jesus. Now, we got to give Peter some grace here. Because, again, he doesn't have the foreknowledge of what's going to happen later on. He doesn't have the same advantages like we do. But at the same time, Peter is operating under an expectation and an assumption that the Messiah is going to be a certain kind of Messiah. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 7 and look at verses 13 through 14. Here's what it says. This is Daniel giving this prophecy of the one to come who will be Messiah. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. We read that passage, and we know that that's speaking of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus came to establish, which is a spiritual kingdom, which is not of this world. We kind of know that already by having grown up in church and hearing these stories. That's, we just kind of take that for granted. We assume that. Peter and the other disciples and really all the Israelites, the entire nation of Israel, they don't interpret this passage the way we do. They read this passage like it's about a military leader, a political leader, someone who's going to come and overthrow their oppressors. See, real quick, in in the history of the nation of Israel, we know that they go into exile, they're, they're, 
they're conquered by the Babylonians, and then eventually they move on, and, and now they're conquered by the Assyrians, and then they're conquered by the Greeks, and then eventually it becomes the Romans. And so the Israelites, they've kind of changed hands a couple times, and they've had different rulers and different captors and, and different bosses over the, the period of like three, four hundred years. And in the midst of all that, they have these promises of a Messiah who's going to come and set them free. And, and the promises sound a lot like someone like David, who's going to sit on an earthly throne and rule. And the nation of Israel is going to be restored to the, its former glory. It's going to have power and dominion, and all the other surrounding nations are going to surrender to it. And so Peter, he's, he's got this image of a Messiah who's just going to come with brute strength, who's going to raise up an army, who's going to overthrow the Romans and, and set them free from their earthly oppression. And then Jesus says, I'm going to get killed by those same guys. It's not matching up with the expectations, is it? And this is why we've got to give Peter some grace, because he doesn't understand. His expectations of Jesus are not aligned with the reality of who he really is. And so he takes him aside, he rebukes him, but here's what Jesus says about all that. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You know what, church? This is for us, too. When we have expectations of God that are going unmet and we're feeling frustrated and we're rebuking him and we're trying to tell God to do things our way, that's because we don't have in mind the things of God but the things of man. Our expectations are not aligned with the reality of who he really is. Our expectations have been rooted in some form of selfishness, some form of idolatry that is hindering us from experiencing the greatness of God the way he intends it to be experienced for us. Amen? Not a comfortable amen, right? We don't like to admit to that. But it happens, and it's true. When our expectations don't align with Jesus, who he really is, we're going to be disappointed. Sometimes we have expectations like, God, just give me everything that I want. And we'll treat God like a vending machine or a genie in the bottle. And we'll say, just, just give me what I want. I want this. Give it to me. We'll kind of make demands of God. Or we'll have expectations where, well, if I just have enough faith, God will bless me with health and wealth and prosperity and security and everything's going to just be fine. And then we suffer a little bit and we're like, the heck, God? What's this all about? If I just tithe enough, if I attend church enough, if I just pray enough, if I do enough good works, God's going to do exactly what I expect of him. All these expectations, all these wrong ways of trying to control God to fit a box that we have created do not work. And they're only going to leave us feeling disappointed. When I was in high school, I had expectations of God that he would do exactly what I wanted, that he would give me all my selfish desires 
out. There were times when I thought God would just protect me from all suffering. Olivia and I served in a different church prior to this one, and we endured some heavy, hurtful stuff during that time. And the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking, God, I'm being faithful to the call you've given to me. Why is all this stuff happening? Like, shouldn't you be just, like, not allowing this? Shouldn't you be just protecting us from all this? Like, why is this going on? When Olivia and I have gone through rough patches in our marriage, I had expectations that God would just say, well, guess what? You're done. I have no more use of you. You're just broken, and I can't, I I just can't work with that. It wasn't right. God spoke into that and said, I'm I'm still going to use you. I'm going to fix that, and we're going to get through that. See, whatever it is, when we have expectations or assumptions that God's going to do things a certain way and it doesn't work out, we're left with disappointment. And so here's the point. When we assume we know Jesus' true identity, we're going to be disappointed. When we assume we know Jesus' identity, we'll be disappointed. And you know what? I think God's love and mercy is great enough that he actually doesn't want us to have these disappointments for a few reasons. One, because he loves us. He doesn't want us walking around with disappointments all downtrodden all the time. He wants to lift us up and he wants to set us free so we can live the way he intends us to live. But the other reason, this is sort of carried in a stick idea, he's perfect. He's all-knowing. He doesn't deserve our disappointments. You see, when we come to God with our disappointments, we're really just saying, you're not enough for me, God. That's idolatry. It's not good. God wants to set us free from our disappointments of him, but he also wants us to know that you really have no right to feel disappointed with him because he is perfect. So, what do we do now? How do we deal with our disappointments? How do we heal from this? How do we move forward? Well, number one, we've got to put ourselves in God's word. If you want to know Jesus, you want to know who he really is, so that your expectations are aligned with who he is, you've got to get in his word See, some of us, maybe our understanding of Jesus comes from pop culture, comes from The Simpsons. I know that was me growing up. Or it comes from how we interpret our bad experiences, it comes from a bad experience at church. We might have these expectations of God that have had roots somewhere else that is not his word. You want to know who he is? Get in his word. Find out who he is and let him take care of the rest. Number two, we got to be in prayer. prayer. And instead of asking God to just give us stuff, 
Try praying that God give you a clear understanding of who he is. Ask God to align your mind with who he is. Pray that God would help you pray within his will. So we got to be in the word and we got to be in prayer. And then lastly, we just have to do the work of aligning our expectations with the reality of who Jesus really is. And he gives us a step-by-step process in verse 34 of our text. If you want to turn back there, Mark 8, 34. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We've got to start by denying ourselves. We've got to let go of the expectations that we have of him that are not right, that are not in alignment with who he is. We've got to let them go. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 teaches us that we are to have the same mind as Jesus. This is a work of humility where we have to surrender and let go of things, which isn't always comfortable, which isn't always easy, but we have to let go of those things. We have to pick up our cross. The exact thing that Peter was like, no, no, I don't want that. We got to pick up our cross. We got to accept that when we follow Jesus, there will be suffering. There will be pain. And if you're suffering, if you're in pain and you're going to God like, hey, enough of this. No, it comes with the cost of following him. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, when we pick up our cross, it allows us to produce maturity in us. It allows us to produce endurance in us so that we aren't feeling disappointed when the suffering comes but that we're able to endure and count it all as joy. It's the total opposite of what we were probably expecting. And then lastly, we have to just simply follow Jesus everywhere we go. We follow him in public. We follow him at our job. We follow him with our family, with our entire being. Sometimes we just want to give God a part of our life, because we want to cling to the comforts. But he expects us to follow him completely. And unless we do that, we're not going to know who he is. If we only follow him part of the way, we're only getting a glimpse. And the rest we've got to just try and fill in the gaps on our own, and, and that's just going to happen by culture and whatever else. We've got to follow him everywhere we go. So we got to be in the Word. We've got to pray. We've got to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him. Because if we don't, and we just continue to assume our assumptions, 
about him will only lead to disappointment. Don't assume. Seek after him. Thanks for listening and being part of our church and joining us in this journey to become down-to-earth people following Jesus in down-to-earth ways. Thank you.